All right, how many feel like you got something this morning, something interesting? How many heard some stuff this morning you still don't understand? Okay, a few hands. That's, that's good, by the way. Uh, I mean that. Um, you, you're not going to get it all. I've been doing this since 2009. I started, but I really got serious about it in 2014. And I eat, drink, and sleep prophecy. And uh, I'm not saying I know it all because nobody does. Um, but uh, I believe we are in the last of the last days. I believe the Lord's coming soon. Uh, I believe the Lord is coming soon. Uh, this stuff going on in the Ukraine with Russia and all this, this doesn't shake me a bit. This is, uh, <clears throat> you know, we all complain about what's going on in the world, but we want the Lord to come back. Well, if the Lord's coming back, there's got to be a whole bunch of things happen. And, uh, you know, technically there's nothing standing in the way of the rapture, but, uh, but there's still, you know, there's puzzle pieces that uh, have to either take place before the rapture or directly after the rapture. Uh, imagine if, if Israel was not in their land. Would we be talking about the rapture today? Probably not. Um, you know, but Israel's been in their land since 1948. Um, they got, I believe the fig tree took root in 1948. I believe the fig tree budded in 1967 with the taking of Jerusalem. What's Israel without Jerusalem? Um, well, I could tell you some miraculous stories about that, but, but uh, we'll be getting off track if we do that. That's one of them rabbit trails, and we've got to be careful of those. We get on some of them, and because uh, I, I have an hour and ten minute uh, lecture tonight that we don't have time to give. And, uh, but I'm, so I'm going to go very rapidly on the first 10 or 15 or 20 slides. Some of them you're going to want to, you're going to wish, you're going to want more, but you're not going to get it. So, um, I'm, Really, this, this is a, something that I, I usually take over an hour or at least an hour uh, at a conference to do. And usually I'm dealing with people who, who already know me. They're up on prophecy. And, uh, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but a lot of us, a lot of our Baptists today haven't gotten a lot of prophecy. And some of the things, you know, a lot, a lot of us don't understand what the seven, even the seven feasts are all about in, in the book of Leviticus. And uh, talk about life changing. When you learn about them seven feasts in Leviticus 23, we'll, we may touch on them a little bit, but uh, that's a whole study in itself. And uh, it's God's prophetic calendar is what it is. It starts with Passover and ends with the day of uh, uh, Feast of Tabernacles. And there are seven of them, and they're all prophetic of things that are coming. The first four have all been fulfilled right to the day, right to the moment. From Passover, unleavened bread, feast of first fruits, Christ rose from the grave on that day. Christ dies on Passover, right on the full under the full moon, uh, right when you would have killed your Passover lamb. Uh, he wrote. Uh, he's in the grave exactly 6 p.m. on the beginning of feast of unleavened bread. Unleavened uh, meaning meaning no no sin, proving there was no sin, no corruption in his body. First fruits is the first Sunday after Passover. Christ rose from the grave exactly 6 p.m. Uh, Saturday night which is Sunday, by the way, right. and you'll see that in a minute. We're going to hit that. And uh, um, so we fulfill those three feasts perfectly right to the moment, not just the day, but the very moment of the feast. And uh, 49 days after first fruits, 50th day, Pentecost, and uh, empowers the church to go out and get a bride for, his, for Christ. And so those four feasts have all been fulfilled perfectly to the moment there are three feasts left. There are fall, we call them fall feasts. This is all in Leviticus 23 and several other places you'll find them. Once you learn about the seven feasts, you'll stumble upon them throughout the whole Bible. 
as you read the New Testament, you'll, you'll see, you'll see Christ our Passover in First Corinthians five seven. Why? What's that all about? Because he's the Passover Lamb, and uh, you'll you'll see tabernacles mentioned uh, even in Zechariah. Uh, you'll see that we're going to keep the Feast of Tabernacles during the millennium. Isn't that interesting? Um, so. Now, the last three feasts are still hanging out there. They have not yet been fulfilled. The next feast on the biblical calendar is Feast of Trumpets. Hey, what's that all about, you think? Duh. <laughs> That's the rapture. And uh, it's, it happens on a new moon in the sky on, the, on day one of Tishri. Tishri 1, which is usually September or October on our calendar. And uh, that, it's day number one. It's, it's the beginning of their new year uh, in Israel, Tishri 1. And uh, that's the Feast of Trumpets every year. Good day for the rapture, wouldn't you think? And, uh, but we'll, uh, let, so let's get going here. Uh, I host Crossing the Spotlight Television. We're on CTN, which is uh, uh, Satellite, Dish, Roku, all in places Friday nights at 7, Tuesday nights at 11 Eastern. But you can, uh, you can avoid all of that and just watch us on our YouTube channel. All of our, all of our shows are there, including our radio program, 15-minute radio program is there. And what we and another show, what's uh, I think we call it an update. So there's three YouTubes every week, and uh, approaching the spotlight. We started this ministry a little over a year and a half ago. Uh, there's an ugly dude. Anyone know Jerry Ross? Anybody know Jerry Ross? I interviewed him uh, at Prosperity News back in the day. There is the God's Found Jubilee book that, that, that's out of print. That we don't. We have a book called The Mystery of the Jubilee now, but um, there's the mystery book there. You can see. Everybody see that? Okay. Mystery of the Jubilee and the KJB book. And uh, I said this morning that the King James Bible is mentioned in the King James Bible that we have. The King James Bible is mentioned in Revelation chapter 3. Uh, it's, not, it's not mentioned by name, but, it, but it's there, I promise you. And I have a chapter in, uh, I have a big discussion of that in the KJB book. And I am, a, I am King James all the way. I believe the King James Bible is inspired, preserved, perfect word of Almighty God. And it uh, doesn't need correcting. It doesn't need uh, editing. It doesn't need made better. And it cannot be made better. And uh, you don't need to go to the Greek to understand it. You don't need to go to the Hebrew. In fact, you go to the Greek and Hebrew, you're going to be all confused. And uh, so anyway, um, those books are back there. And these are all prophecy books, by the way. Seven Clocks are Ticking is, qu- is quite recent. And uh, Seven Clocks Ticking right now towards the soon return of Jesus Christ. One of them you can see real vividly over there in the Ukraine and Russia right now. And that's the nuclear ticking clock. And uh, isn't it strange? It's been since 1945 since anybody nuked anybody. That was us, by the way. And uh, I'm not saying we shouldn't have. I'm just saying we are the only country in the world that's ever nuked another country. And we did so twice. We, were, we threatened to do it a third time. We didn't have a third bomb. They didn't know that. And so they surrendered. See, we, we, we faked our way out of that one. And by the way, in 1952, we invented another bomb called the hydrogen bomb. People don't know this, but 1,000 times more powerful than the bombs dropped in Japan. Now, you think about, let that sink in for a minute, what that means. I'm talking about 1952. Now, that's 70 years ago. What do you suppose we got now? You can't imagine what we got now. I have, I have read people that say that we have weapons that we have not tested because we're afraid to test them. In my book back there, I think it's the Seven Clocks book. It's also in the, uh, um, it's also in the UFO book, I think. I have a chapter... 
call about, about the taking nuclear clock. I, I talk about the Manhattan Project. Now, I'm not talking about a hotel. <laughs> I'm, not talking about a, I'm not talking about a section of, uh, of apartments. I'm talking about the Manhattan Project where they built the atom bomb in 1940. Uh, well, it was done in 1945. You ought to, you ought to read that. You ought to read what, how, how it scared them guys to death when they, when they tested that out in the desert. 200 miles away, it broke windows in people's homes. Now, we're talking about out in the desert now. There's no mountains. It's all flat. 200 miles away, it broke windows. And by the way, the government has been lying to us for a long time. They lied then. They, they said it was a munitions dump exploded. And they, they lied to the American people. And uh, so they built the atom bomb, scared them to death. There was a huge mushroom cloud, 40,000 feet in the air. This was a test. And, uh, and so they dropped two of those on Japan. And then Japan uh, finally gave up. And uh, because we, they said they were going to drop a third one if needed, and we didn't have a third one. That was it. Um, that's all in the book, talks about the history of warfare. For about 500, 5,000 years, 5,800 years of history, not much changed with warfare until the nuclear age began. And boy, we, we are in the last days. Did you know for the first time in history, in our generation, the world has the technology to destroy itself? We could be destroyed in one hour. Russia, America, the world. Now, we know it's not going to happen. We've read the last chapter. Um, Israel could be wiped off the face of the map in, in just moments. Now, we know that's not going to happen, too, uh, because we've read the last, we've read what's coming. And, uh, but the fact is, it could happen now. That was never possible before. It's a ticking clock ticking towards midnight, okay? Um, all right, let's move on. Here's what we're going to talk about tonight. This book is on the back table. You will, not, you will not read what we're going to talk about tonight in anybody's book that I know of. I, there could be somebody out there that, that got this before I did, but, uh, and I'm not bragging at all. I'm simply saying I've never heard this anywhere. I've never read what I'm going to tell you about tonight. Um, it, and when I was, we was in Israel, my wife and I, in 2017, we wrote this book in 16, I think. We, oh yes, my wife uh, helped, I'm sure. And uh, she claimed she wrote some of my books, so uh, she has to fix all my mistakes. But uh, we were in Israel in 2017, and we stood in the very spot that they claimed the feeding of the 5,000 happened. And we'll get to that at the end of the message here. And I, and I preached about the barley harvest right there at the feeding of the five. There were several pastors in the audience. I've preached at all the churches now. They went berserk when they heard. No one's ever heard this simple little thing that I'm going to share with you tonight. I think... I don't know where Brother... Oh, he's over there. Okay. I shared a little bit with Brother Muncie earlier. And uh, so, let's get into this. The, a barley of a story I'm going to share with you. Take a look at the, at the map there. See if you can see something wrong there. In 2015, this is why I wrote the book, The Barley Harvest. This is what got me thinking about it. And, and I stumbled, literally stumbled upon some truths that I'd never seen before. And, uh, and I'm going to share them with you. But this is what happened in actually... Actually, in my book here, I think I wrote it was 2016, so I could have the date wrong. It doesn't matter, but I, I wrote in my book here 2016, so I may have got that wrong. But it happens every three or four years, so don't worry about that. In 2015 or 16, whatever year it was, we celebrated, we celebrated what we call Easter. And I won't get in a big debate about that. You know what I'm talking about. We celebrated the resurrection. Three or four weeks later, Passover happened in Israel. Now, how many, how many see something wrong with that? Don't, don't you got to die before you rise from the, day, the, de, the dead? 
It was backwards, wasn't it? And that's what got me thinking. Why does this happen every few years? What, what, what's wrong with the calendars here? Well, there's a lot wrong with the calendars, but I'm going to explain some of this to you uh, today. We're going to learn several things. We're going to learn the significance of the barley harvest in Israel in, in Bible days. It doesn't matter now, but in Bible days, it was pretty, pretty important. The barley harvest. We're also going to learn what it meant in Bible days and what it means today. What does the barley mean today? I believe there's a very important prophetic significance to it. And we're going to learn really why nobody can know the day or the hour that the Lord's coming. It has to do with a crop in the field called barley. Um, barley harvest is one of those missing pieces of the puzzle that I think few have grasped today. And, uh, you know, we're not farmers anymore. That's one problem. We, you know, the Bible is filled with farming and harvesting. And I wonder how much we miss because we don't understand the farmer. Let me tell you this one little, one little um, illustration. People say, well, brother, you, know, you can't know the day or the hour. There's no sense even thinking about it. Tell that to a farmer. As he pulls up on the side of the road in his old pickup truck and he gets out and then he walks out there into the weed or the whatever crop he has and he gets down on his knees and he starts to feel it and look at it. What's he doing? He's trying to determine when the harvest is. Now he doesn't know the day or the hour that it's time to cut that wheat. But I'll tell you what he does know. He knows it soon. He knows the season is here. It's any day now. It's, it's going to be time to get the tractors out here and get this stuff cut. He don't know the day or hour, but he knows, boy, it's any time now. I'll check back in a couple of days. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not claiming that we know the date of the rapture or, or the month of the rapture or the week of the rapture or maybe not the year of the rapture. But we ought to be able to look at what's going on around us and realize he's, this thing's almost over. This thing is, we are at the end of this thing. And that's what I try to get across to people. And the barley harvest today is something very important. And we're going to learn a couple things. We've got to go very quickly on these first few slides because I've only got about 30, 35 minutes left. And, of course, I'm on central time, Brother Muncie. I asked him. Uh, he, he gave me a time, uh, you know, uh, but I'm thinking, hey, I'm on central time. I got another whole hour here. And, uh, right? Is that okay, sister? And uh, uh, so... But we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to explain to you some things about the calendars, especially the Jewish calendar, because we, we don't use the Jewish calendar here in America, uh, but it's important. It's, a, it's, it has a lot to do with what's going on in Israel and how they schedule things. First thing I want you to realize is when a day begins and tonight at 12 midnight, it becomes the next day, doesn't it? That's not true in Israel. In Israel, the day begins at 6 p.m. Remember Genesis chapter 1? The first and the, uh, and the evening and the morning were the first day. You know, see how he said that? Right. And the second day and the evening and the morning were the second day. Right. He didn't say the morning and the evening. He said the evening and the morning. I believe, and by the way, Josephus believed this. He was a, an old uh, a Jewish historian from Jesus' day. Josephus, we have writings of his. Josephus, as well as most of the, the old Jews today, believe that creation in Genesis 1 began at 6 p.m. on Tishri 1. That's that date I told you about, uh, that fall month, the day one on their calendar, Tishri 1. They believe that Genesis 1 started. It doesn't make sense to you and me, does it? Because we're here in America. We look at everything through a, the lens of America. We think the world revolves around us. It doesn't. It's, it's, it's a little place over there called Israel. 
That's the holy city. That's the, that's the country that the whole world is after. They, they don't care about us. Uh, everybody wants Israel. And uh, so at 6 p.m. on Tishri 1 is when creation. That's, that's what most people believe. It's what Josephus believed. And I, I personally think that, that that's true, and I have a lot of reasons why that I don't have time to get into. Uh, so I'm not asking you to believe that, but that's... Uh, so a Hebrew day begins at 6 p.m. That's, that settles all the confusion about, um, about what day Jesus rose from the grave, when he, what day he was crucified. We know he rose from the, day, from the grave on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. But there's a bunch of... Uh, you've heard about Good Friday, right? There's no such thing as Good Friday. There's no way mathematically to ever get three days and three nights from Friday to Sunday. So, so they fudge it and they say, "Well, yeah, but a day doesn't have to be 24 hours." Okay, okay. So we're going to go down these these paths. No, what you need to understand is what what time of day began. He died on Wednesday. At 6 p.m., it is now Thursday. He's in the grave at exactly 6 p.m., I believe, Feast of Unleavened Bread. And three days and three nights, he rises from the grave at 6 p.m. Saturday night. Oh, Brother Goon, we got you there. My Bible says he rose on the first day of the week. That is the first day of the week. 6 p.m. Saturday night is Sunday. When we was in Israel, my wife will tell you, on Friday Friday when we got back from, from our tour, when it hit 6 p.m., you couldn't touch the buttons in the elevator because 6 p.m. Friday was the Sabbath in Israel because Sabbath, Saturday, begins at 6 p.m. Friday night. Now, everybody over there knows that. It's, it's common to them. It's us Americans that struggle with it. And that's why it's hard to figure out some timelines in our Bible because we're using our calendar and our clocks and, uh, instead of the right clock. And I'm taking too long on this. The Jewish calendar has 354 days. If you can see that, it's pretty small. Our calendar has 365 days. Do you see a problem here? There's 11 days missing on their calendar. See, they're on a lunar calendar. Each, each, uh, each month, uh, their calendar starts. Day one is always a... How many know what I mean by a new moon in the sky? How many know what I mean by that? How many don't know what I mean by a new moon in the sky? How many ain't going to raise your hand anyway? So, all right, you've all seen this, the moon, a little sliver of the moon, and it gets bigger every day, and finally it's a full moon. And the next day, in the next couple of days, it starts to look wobbly. It's, it's, shrink, it's the shrinking of the moon. The Jewish calendar is based off the moon. Day one on their calendar is always that little sliver on the right side of the moon, a little bitty sliver. That's the new moon. And the moon cycle is like 29 point something days. It's not a perfect 30 days. And uh, so it's, it's, and it's 11 days shorter than our calendar. And we have to have a leap year every four years. So they have a leap year also, and we'll get to that. There's a little sliver of the moon there you can see. Our calendar, the Gregorian calendar, are given to us by the Catholics. The Catholics, uh, Pope Gregory gave us the Gregorian calendar. There's, there's some problems with it. There was the, the problem with the year zero. They forgot to count year zero and all this stuff. And uh, so our, our calendar is based on the, the, the earth going around the moon, um, I mean the sun and all that. So uh, we have 365 in the fourth days. We add a leap year every four years to, to even it up. I won't bother with these calendars here. This is a shovel. Are you ready to go a little deeper? Here we go. All right. How many have heard the word Abib before? Abib. All right. Many of you have. It's in your Bible, right? And this used to bother me years ago. I just, you know, what in the world is that? And I find, you know, finally, I, I started studying this, and I was shocked what I found out. 
And of course, I had a lot of background because I understood a lot of these feasts. I understood a lot of these things. And so when this hit me and I put them together, man, all kinds of lights went off. And uh, I said, wow, this is huge. Someone ought to write a book about this. And uh, the key to understanding the Jewish leap year, as well as God's prophetic calendar, is to understand the difference between those two words. Nisan or Nissan, however you want to say it. I don't know how you say it. Uh, Abib or Nissan. Which is it? By the way, the word Nissan is used more times in your King James Bible, I think anyway. Uh, we'll get to that. Actually, I've drawn a blank here. I can't remember, but we'll get to it. And, uh, but they're both used in the Bible. And uh, one of them is more important than the other. All right? The word Nissan is never used by Israel when they're in their land. The word, the word Nissan was used outside of Israel when they were in captivity. That's an important distinction. All right, so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get to this. They both name, they're both the name of the same month on the Hebrew calendar, but one of them has a special meaning and is very important to prophecy people and to you and me and understanding some things, all right? So are you with me? Abib or Nissan, which is it? So let's look at this. The word Abib means this. I looked this up uh, in Webster's 1820 Dictionary. It means to produce the first early fruit. Basically, it means that it means to be ready for harvest. It means to be nearly ripe. All right? So when someone says it's a beeb, it means it's ripe or, or almost ready for harvest. Okay? The Bible calls a month of the year on the Jewish calendar the month of a beeb. That same month is also called the month of Nisan, or Nisan, however you want to pronounce it, uh, outside of Israel when they're in captivity. And we'll look at that. Nisan is a month. This is again from Webster's 1828. Nisan is a month. Notice the difference in the definitions here. They're both talking. Abib is the first month of the Jewish ecclesiastical year. Remember, they got two calendars, kind of like we have two calendars. They have their, they have their prophetic or their, their, their harvesting calendar that was changed when, uh, in Moses' day, God changed the calendar. Tishri 1 used to be month one, uh, month one now it's month 7, because God changed the calendar. However, for, they have an ecclesiastic and a, an agricultural calendar, and I don't want to get too bogged down on this, but um, Abib is the first month of the Jewish year, but so is Nisan. So they're both talking about the same month, but look at the definitions are different here. Uh, the first month of the Jewish ecclesiastical year, it begins at the spring equinox and answers to the latter part of March or beginning of April. It is, to, and it is to produce the first or the early fruit, and it happens to be barley uh, this time of year in Israel. So it's, it's, a beam has to do with harvest, a crop being ready to harvest, okay? But the word Nisan says nothing about any of, any of that, says nothing about producing fruit or being ready for harvest. It's simply a month on the Jewish calendar. It's the first month of the sacred year and the seventh month of the civil year. Again, I don't want to confuse you with the two different calendars. Israel has two different calendars. They have the, the, the one, the feast calendar, and they have the ecclesiastical calendar. Uh, Tishri 1 is still New Year's, but on this calendar, it's month number 7. All right, how many are confused now? All right, so Abib is used six times. So I had it backwards. Abib is used six times. Nissan is only used two times. Uh, here's the six times the word Abib is used, beginning uh, first mention, Exodus 13:4. This day came ye out in the month of Abib. Now, what month did Israel leave Egypt? What month of the year was it? March. Right, it was Passover month, wasn't it? No doubt about it. It was the first Passover, so we know that. 
God calls it the month of Abib on purpose because Abib means something. Abib means ready for harvest. This would have been barley harvest season. All right, and then 23, verse 15b, in the time appointed of the month, Abib, for in it thou camest out of Egypt. So twice he said, it's the month. You came out of Egypt on the month of Abib. You and I know that that's the month that they celebrate Passover. You got that? Verse, uh, chapter 34, seven days shalt thou eat unleavened bread. Remember, that starts Passover night at 6 p.m. It's now, it's now the 15th. And uh, 15th to the 21st is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You had to get all the leaven out of your house. That's what they were doing before they went to the Red Sea, getting all the leaven out of the house. Had to throw it away. Had to, you couldn't just hide it somewhere. You'd be tempted. It's kind of like getting the candy out of the house when you're on a diet, right? You had to get all the leaven out of the house, get it, get it out. And, uh, boy, there's some wonderful prophetic stories about that, some wonderful you know, salvation stories about that. And, by the way, you don't get sin out of your life and then get saved. You get saved, and then you start the process of growth and grace. Passover's first. You can't mix these up. If you don't have a Passover in your life, you don't need an unleavened bread in your life or a Pentecost or the crossing the Red Sea. And uh, you need Passover first, the blood. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. That's the beginning of the Christian life, and it begins in Egypt, in the world. That's where everybody started. All of us started our Christian life in, in the world, in Egypt. And some of us are still there. You're not supposed to stay there. You're supposed to get across that Red Sea and get into the church in the wilderness, like Stephen said. And uh, you're supposed to get down the mountain and get the Word of God in you. That's Pentecost. Then you're supposed to get to the Jordan River and cross over into the, the uh, victorious Christian life. Amen. We, need to, we need to try that sometime. Amen. A lot of people went halfway over, got scared, and came back because it's tough over there. There's giants over there. There's, there's walls, Jericho's walls over there. They were, had chariot races on top. It's battle of spiritual warfare. And that's where we're supposed to be headed. And uh, very few ever get there. All right, Deuteronomy 16.1, observe the month of Abib. Keep the Passover of the Lord thy God. So over, over, there's no doubt that Abib is talking about Passover month. And it's talking about the fact it's named that because it has to do with a harvest that's ready. All right, Nisan is used two times, Nehemiah 2, Esther 3, and you know those are post-captivity books. This is where the children of Israel are in captivity. It's at the end of the captivity after the 70 years, and uh, they're going to build the wall and, uh, and all that. You know the stories. The word Nisan is used here instead. Why is that? Because they're outside of Israel. They have no temple. They have no tabernacle. They have no feast days. They have probably, don't, you know, if they have a garden, it's, it's, it's not these kind. They have no priesthood in operation. Right. So there's no abib. There's, no, there's nobody checking the, 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 the barley to see if it's ripe because there's a purpose for that. The barley is going to be used for something in the feast that's very important. And without barley, and, and you'll see in a minute, with no barley, no abib, no abib, no Passover. If there's no barley, they don't have Passover. Well, what happens now? Leap year. That's how they adjusted their calendar every year. If the barley's not ripe, it means the calendar's off and the season's off and it's still cold. And uh, by the way, the, the barley is, is, is kind of like the winter wheat. You've heard about winter wheat. The wheat is planted in the fall after you're done harvesting, right? You plant your wheat, but it don't grow until the spring the next year, right? That's what they did with the barley. So they're looking at the fields. They're looking at the barley. They need barley for, the, for, the, for Passover. They need it for that night. For the, uh, for, actually, they need it for first fruits. They need to wave the sheaf of barley before the Lord. If they don't have barley, they can't do that. 
It's the waving of the first fruits. So <coughs> the barley harvest becomes very important. If the barley is, isn't, isn't ready, they know that, and they say, okay, well, the calendar's off, and they postpone Passover for another month. It's, they, add a whole, they add a whole 13th month to their calendar. We add one day, they add a whole month. How'd you like that? And, uh, boy, why don't we do that? Why don't we add another summer month, huh? <laughs> but anyway, you see what I'm saying? The, they know that the calendar's off. Every three years or so, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. Because they're missing 11 days a year. That's 33 days. Uh, 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 every three years, that's 33 days. So eventually, the, the crop's going to be behind because the calendar's messed up. This is how they fixed it. No computers, no, 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 no laboratories, no, no science department. They simply went out and looked at the field. Isn't that something, huh? Pretty simple. Leap year. Whole, every, every three years or so, they'd have a 13th month in their calendar. And throw everything off. That means you couldn't schedule things. You couldn't schedule Passover until, until the priest determined that it's a beam. So you got a two-week warning when Passover was. Now, they're not stupid. The Jews are pretty smart. You might have figured that out. They know. They've, they've all looked at the field. They've all rode by on their camel and looked at the fields. Yep, going to be late this year. I bet you they're going to extend it. You know, they're, they're smart. And uh, so it's important. And uh, so Nisan, Nisan is used outside, outside of Israel because th- there was no crop to look at. There was no priesthood. They weren't celebrating Passover. They, were, they weren't doing these things. Okay? God was the first to reset the calendar. You see that back in Exodus. He said, from now on, Moses, this is now your first month. So the month of Nisan, or Abib, as we should call it, became month number one on this, on this agricultural calendar. Very important. And so after Exodus 12, when you read in your Bible, and on the seventh month, it's no longer, it's no longer, it's backwards now. So you got to remember that. Here's the two calendars side by side. You know, you got month number one, Nissan, over here on the civil calendar, it's Tishri. Uh, and we have two calendars here in America too, um, but we won't get into all that. So we got to hurry, because I got two stories here that I want to give you at the end. In Bible days, the month of Passover was not determined by the progression of the months. In other words, all right, it's January, February, March, or April. That's not how they figured out Passover. Passover was determined in that last month, the 12th month of Adar. Uh, on the, the last day of that month, they would go out and they'd, and they'd ensure that the barley was ready. And they would announce it's, past, it's, now, it's now Abib. The month of Abib starts at 6 p.m. that night. And two weeks later would be the 14th of Abib, which is what? Passover. Passover is on the 14th day of the month of Abib every year, which, by the way, is a full moon in the sky. It's the only feast of the seven feasts that's a full moon in the sky. And that's interesting. Um, all right. Um, so here's a, a barley field. You could picture the priesthood going out there and, and looking at the barley and determining the season, right? And uh, he would declare a bib. He would, with the de- he would declare it's a bib or he would declare leap month is here, leap year. Uh, we talked about the 354 days and why this happens. We won't go through all that again. And there's my statement. No barley, no a bib. Not right. No Abib, no ripe barley, no Passover. Insert leap month. We've got to get the calendar back in sync so it's not snow on the ground when we, uh, when, we, when we have our feast. Okay? Everybody with me so far? This is not difficult, right? Everybody got this so far? 
It is how they reset the calendar and kept the seasons and, and kept, kept the seasons right for the crops, right? Everything in Israel revolved around the harvest. Three main harvests, three times in the year, every man 18 years old and over, you know, as long as he's not, uh, uh, not he's, and no woke Israelites either. No boys thinking they're girls, none of that garbage, and uh, uh, none of that in Russia either, by the way, but uh, uh, that's, that's America. We got that. And uh, this is how they reset the calendars. There must be a sheaf of barley, and you'll see this in Leviticus 23. On the Feast of First Fruits, they waved a sheaf of the, of the brand new barley. If there's no barley, they cannot do that. They can't obey the, the law. And that's how they reset the calendar every year. This, this is amazing. And then they would begin counting 49 days of the Omer until Pentecost. So on the first day of the week, Sunday after Passover, they start counting 49 days, and then the 50th day is Pentecost, feast number four, right? Uh, this happens every year. And by the way, it started in Exodus with Moses. Moses celebrated Passover with the blood on the doorpost. And literally, uh, if, you, if you didn't have the blood on your doorpost, your firstborn would die. And pretty, pretty sad, pretty powerful. And, uh, and then that night, that began unleavened bread at 6 p.m. They got leaven out of the house. And then uh, just a few days later, uh, they got to the Red Sea. By the way, they got to the Red Sea on the Feast of First Fruits. I can prove this. First fruits, they crossed the Red Sea. Stephen said this was that church in the wilderness. <laughs> Acts 7, 45, 1 Corinthians chapter, um, I think it's 12, 1 through 4. Um, but my brain, got a brain freeze here, but uh, talks, about, talks about this. And the church, this was that church in the wilderness. I believe Stephen said that in Acts chapter 7. And Moses said, uh, it was quoted in 1 Corinthians, Moses uh, was baptized in, uh, in the sea and in the, uh, talking about them crossing the Red Sea. And the church in the wilderness. Baptism has a lot to do with you getting into the local church here. And uh, what, where did they go when they crossed the Red Sea? They went straight down to the mountain. Moses goes up to the mountain. How long is he up there? Forty days. Uh, hey, when's Pentecost? 50 days after first fruits. So it took them probably about 10 days to get from the Red Sea down to the mountain. Moses goes up the mountain, comes down with the tablets, and he hears noise down. Remember, Joshua's halfway up. Uh, Moses, sounds like war down there in the camp. No, Joshua, that's rock music. <laughs> that's music. Uh, that's the people of God down there sinning, and, and uh, they built a golden calf. Do you know what day that was when Moses comes down? And he says, who's on the Lord's side? And, they, and, and three, uh, uh, some people died. It's Pentecost, the first Pentecost. You know how many died? Who knows how many people died that day? Exactly. 23,000. Nope. 14,000. Nope, you're way off. Anybody? Somewhere around three, right? All right. However, it doesn't, it's not said that way. It says about 3,000 died. That's only important because... 1,500 years later in Acts chapter 2, the last Pentecost, the Bible says about 3,000 are added to the Lord. Same day, 1,500 years later. And uh, boy, that's interesting, isn't it? About 3,000 are added to the Lord. And uh, the, the, the lesson there, the law killeth, spirit giveth life. Yeah, I like that. And one other guy like that. So two of us like that. And, uh, you know, the journeys of the children of Israel in Exodus and Numbers is, it revolves around these seven feasts. We just saw the very first feast with the children of Israel. 
right to the day. Moses on Pentecost, the fourth feast. Um, pretty amazing, isn't it? All right. There's a sheaf of barley. You've got to wave for the Lord. Leviticus 23. We don't have time to go there. You shall wave a sheaf. Shall count unto you from the morrow of the Sabbath. Uh, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. Seven Sabbaths. In other words, 49 days. Seven Sabbaths is 49 days. Seven times seven. And then it's Pentecost, right? Uh, they don't do this today. It's all computerized. It's since 70 AD when the, when the children of Israel are scattered. Obviously, there's no barley to look at. They came up with a new system mathematically to figure out Passover every year. It's not biblical. It's not right. But we're on the other side of the veil. It really doesn't matter, doesn't it? We're not under the feast. We don't need the feast. The feasts were pictures and types and to show us Christ, show us redemption. And uh, when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part is done away. I don't need to kill a lamb anymore. I don't need to go down to the temple and offer a sacrifice uh, because they were figures and types. But he's here. It'd be like me uh, introducing my wife to you. And she's standing right next to me. And I pull out my wallet. And I say, hey, I want to show you a picture of my wife. There she is. She's beautiful. She's, and she's standing right next to me. Wouldn't that be stupid? No more stupid than you trying to keep the Sabbath. Amen. The Sabbath was fulfilled in Christ. Read Hebrews chapter 4. Read Colossians. The Sabbath days were nailed to his cross. What was the Sabbath about? It was to show us that we rest in Christ. Right. It's been done away. So why, why are you keeping the Sabbath? By the way, most people that keep the Sabbath, they, they don't keep the right. They, they think the Sabbath is Sunday. Sunday's not the Sabbath. Saturday's the Sabbath. Sabado, Saturday, the seventh day. Sunday's the first day. So if you're going to get under the law, at least get the right day. And uh, that means at 6 p.m. Friday night, no more cooking, no cutting the grass, no, no, no labor of any kind. And uh, you got to have all your meals cooked a day in advance. And 6 p.m. Saturday night, you're clear. But that's part of the law. There's a whole bunch of other law, too. But we pick and choose. Well, we'll get off that. This was not God's plan. We're on the other side of the veil now. And uh, in Israel, everything revolves around harvest. And uh, here's the three harvests, three main harvests, barley, wheat, and fruit. That's the three main harvests in Israel. Barley is at Passover time. Wheat is at Pentecost. Uh, grapes or the fruit is in the fall. Apples and uh, all the fruit trees and all that. The three main harvests uh, take place at uh, barley harvest time, Passover, first fruits. And I think I gave you these already. And uh, there they are, and we got to hurry. Here's the seven feast on the, on, the, on the left there. I've been throwing it out a little bit. This isn't a, a series on the seven feasts, but you can see the seven feasts revolve around these three harvests. See that? Passover, unleavened bread all take place in just a few days, and it's barley harvest. Pentecost is in the midsummer, wheat harvest time. Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Tabernacles are all 15 days apart. They're in the fall, the month of Tishri, Tishri 1, Tishri 10, and Tishri 15. Uh, and that's fruit harvest time. These are pretty important. If you were a Jew, this would be def definitely important to you. And uh, you, you could be in serious trouble not participating in these things. These were commands. <coughs> Here's the verse. It says, the three, all you men have to assemble in Jerusalem, unleavened bread, Pentecost, tabernacle. That's going to be important in just a minute here. Number seven, seven feasts take place during seven months of the biblical calendar, from the month of Abib all the way to the month of Tishri, seven months. And uh, look at all the sevens here. Seven colors in the rainbow, seven notes on the scale, 7,000 years of human history, seven days of creation, on and on and on we go here. 
There's three phases of the harvest. I don't have time to give you that. Uh, that's the first fruits. Uh, Christ is the first fruits. The main harvest is the rapture. And then the gleanings will be at the end of the tribulation. And uh, we don't have time to give you all that. So I'll just throw that out to you. There's the doggy. Is that your dog, Miss Sharon? Is that, is that him? And uh, all right. So uh, this is a summary here. There are uh, the, the three calendars. The lunar calendar the Jews use is 354 days. The solar calendar we use and God's calendar. God's calendar is exact three, 360 days. These calendars do not sink, and they throw everybody off. And I don't know how many people are trying to use our calendar to figure out timelines for the rapture. You will never get it, my friend. Never get it. Um, every three or four years, the 13th month, we've given you all this already. This is just review. Kips the seasons in sync. Modern times is done mathematically since 70 AD. And you can pretty much ignore all of this stuff people are putting up about the, uh, what the Jews are doing and what they're saying. You can ignore all that. I have very serious doubts that most of their feasts are even on the right days uh, in Israel because they're not doing it right. Abib is the name of the month of Passover. This is all review. So let me end with this. And this is, this is important. No barley, no Abib, no Abib, no Passover. I want to give you real quickly a little story from the Bible. Two stories. We're going to start with this one. Gideon and a cake of barley. Gideon and a cake of barley. If you go to Judges chapter 7, you don't have to turn there if you don't want. I've got, a, I've got them up there. There's a story here that's very important to what we're discussing. How many are still with me out there? All right. When Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream. And I've highlighted some stuff here. A man down in the tent of the Midianites, that's the enemies of Israel, they're down in the valley, Gideon and what the men that he has left that God chose, 300 guys up there shaking in their boots, um, and uh, down, in the, down in the valley is tens of thousands, we believe, of these Midianites, soldiers, men of war, uh, and, they're, and, the, and they're getting ready for battle the next day, and they're in their tent, and uh, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow. And he said, behold, I had a dream. I dreamed, and lo, a cake of barley bread. Now, did a light just come on? Did a light just come on? And we've been talking about something called barley, the whole service here. Why have I been talking about it? To get you to see something. In his dream, he saw a cake of barley. And I have a picture of one here for you. It rolled down the hill, wiped out his tent, and he's trying to figure out what it meant. He says, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian, came unto a tent, and smote it that it fell, and overturned it, and the tent lay along. I mean, he really went on and on. How bad. I mean, you get the impression this tent was flattened like a pancake. And this must have been a, some big cake of barley. You know, it's a, it's, it's a loaf of bread, for, for those of you that don't know what we're talking about. There's wheat bread, there's barley bread, it's grain. And they make bread out of it. And uh, this would, and usually there, anybody been to Europe? Anybody see the, how bread is? It ain't, don't, it's not wonder bread over there. It, it's, it's, it's these things you could throw like a Frisbee. They're round and, and, and flat. You know what I'm talking about. That's, that's the bread over there in Europe and, uh, and in Israel as well. And, uh, and so he sees this great big loaf of bread uh, roll down the hill, flattens out a tent. And now look what it says here. His fellow answered and said, I know what this is. I know what that dream was. He says, this is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all his host. Talk about bad news. 
wait a minute, can, can I tell you the dream? Can, can I tell you the dream again? Can you try this again? He, he basically said, that dream is telling us we're going to die tomorrow. All right? All right, here's, uh, here's uh, what, a, what a barley piece of bread would look like, this round thing. Picture that rolling on end down a hill, but a big piece of bread. And uh, so, so what is this all about? What is this, what is this story for? Why is this in the Bible? Why, why did God put this in there? He's getting you to see something. What did that guy say the barley represented? Israel. It represented Israel. What does wheat represent? We know what wheat represents. Pentecost, the Gentiles, the church. The wheat is us. The barley is Israel. It's a type of Israel. Okay? The key to beginning and end time events is not the church, but the condition of the barley, which is prophetic of who? Israel. It's not us that determines when the rapture is in the end time. It's that little place over there in the Middle East, that little bitty country with, uh, I think there's probably 7 million people there. There's 13 million Jews in the whole world, but half, a little more than half of them are right now in Israel. That's the center of the world. That's what God is looking at because who's, who's the Lord? He's the high priest. What is the high priest looking at? He's looking at the barley to see if it's a beeb. And when the barley is a beeb, what happens? The, the clock begins. He's looking at Israel. When Israel is ready, God's going to hit the reset button, and all these things are going to begin to happen. The end times. Okay? Now, when Israel's a beep, God will hit the reset button. I said that already. It's all in this book here. Now, I want to give you one more story, and I'm done. This is John chapter 6. This is what I preached in Israel in 2017. Three or four preachers absolutely went nuts. Um, they were all Baptists, by the way. Um, John chapter 6, Look, listen to this. Now, with all that I've just shared with you, try to think now as we read this. Has anybody heard me talk about this on YouTube or anything? If, if you have, just don't, don't give it away. John chapter 6, verse 9, there is a la- this is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. This is powerful. There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? You know the story. They've all gathered. There's 5,000 men. There's women and children. There's who knows how many are there. And they, didn't, they don't have no food. I don't know what their problem was. They, they, they had no food. By the way, I think they're headed to Jerusalem for unleavened bread because they have to be there. That's why the men are mentioned. Do you catch that? That's why he mentions 5,000 men. What in the world are 5,000 men hanging around out here in the desert for? Don't these guys have jobs? Don't they have nothing to do? No cattle to take care of? What are they doing? They're obeying God. They've got to go to Jerusalem. They had to do this every year. Three times a year, they had to go to Jerusalem. And you didn't go alone. It was dangerous. 5,000 of them here. They hear about Jesus. They say, hey, I'll bet you he'll feed us. And, uh, and here they are. He tells them to sit down. Look what it says here, verse 10. Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about, there is about again, about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, the loaves, he's got two loaves of barley and five fishes, right? we got one walking the aisle already over here. Uh, He's got two loaves of bread, and he's got fishes, five fishes. And Jesus begins to break them, and he gives thanks, and he distributes these to the disciples, and the disciples distribute them to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. 
Now look at verse 12. And when they were filled, everybody ate all that they could eat. Now think about this. This is a miracle of miracles. The miracle of Tabitha rising from the Tabitha arise. I can see that in my mind. I can see that dead person getting up. I can see Lazarus coming out of the tomb and tearing the stuff off. I can see that in my mind, but I can't see this one. How did this miracle get pulled off? Did the bread keep growing as they cut? I don't, it's, it's a miracle. This is a big miracle. And you're looking at me funny, like, well, what's the big deal? That's what the apostles, the mistake the apostles made. Because later on, Jesus is going to send him to the other side. He goes up on the mountain, begins to pray up a storm, and he brings a storm on them. And you find out in one of the other Gospels that he gave that storm upon them because they considered not the miracle of the loaves. He was upset. Now, the Lord don't get offended. He was offended. <laughs> he was bothered that they, they, they took this lightly and didn't think this was a big deal. This was a miracle. Pretty big. And by the way, it's got a tremendous prophetic lesson for you and I right here. Look what it says here, verse 12. When they were filled, they, they, these guys, these two loaves and five fish, they ate all they could, and they're filled. And he said, gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be... Fragments? Leftovers? How is there leftovers? There wasn't enough there for five men to eat. How is there leftovers? But look, look what it says here, verse 13. Therefore, they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Wow, that's interesting. Therefore, they gathered them together, filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five. I don't think I had that up, did I? Uh, I'm sorry, I thought I had it up there and I just clicked on it and, and you didn't get to, to see the passage here. So you didn't see what I highlighted, so here it is. Verse 13, therefore they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets, and I'm, I'm just about done here, with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Did anybody see something here? Hmm? Okay, that's a good point. Who said that? Have you ever heard me give this presentation? Give that guy a dollar. Give that guy the $50. Where's the deacons? Look at this. They gathered them all together. Verse 13, they filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves and fish. Doesn't say that, does it? Where's the fish? Where's the fish? 12 baskets full of leftover bread. Where's the fish? Look, comma, which remained over and above unto them that eat. There's no fish. Now, what's the lesson here? When the 12 baskets, don't miss this. When the 12 baskets are full, when they're abib, what's barley represent? Thank you. Boy, you scared me for a second. Barley represents Israel. How many tribes are there in Israel? And those 12 tribes got to be ready because them 12 tribes are going to be important in the middle of the tribulation because 12,000 men from each tribe are going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to witness the two, the two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, are going to send to heaven. They're going to see that and they're going to get saved. That moment, I can show you that in Revelation. And uh, so it's important that there's got to be 12 tribes over there. When the 12 tribes of Israel are abib or ready or ripe or ready for the end times, God is going to remove the fish and fall off the platform, God is going to remove the fish and deal with the 12 baskets. Who's the fish? It's us. 
It's Christianity. Peter, I go fishing. It's the fish symbol. Uh, you and I, the church, are the fish here. And that's the lesson that he's given. When the, when the basket, listen, 12 baskets, one for each apostle to lug down to the boat in their doubts. And, uh, uh, you know, man, why do we got to carry this? Carry this. You're carrying a miracle. You could, you could have put the five, uh, five loaves and two fishes wouldn't have filled one basket. And 12 baskets full of leftovers. 12 baskets, 12 tribes. When the 12 tribes of Israel are a bee ready for the end times, God will remove the, the saints and he will once again deal with Israel. And one last thing. He tells them, go get in the boat and go to the other side. I'll meet you there. They get in the boat. They're in the, they're in the perfect will of God. They're in the boat halfway across. Now remember now, in our story, the rapture just happened, right? The fish are gone. The rapture just happened. Halfway across, what's that mean? Halfway through the tribulation. What happens to Israel halfway through the tribulation? A storm comes. The Antichrist goes into the temple. He's killed the two witnesses on Passover. They're laying in the streets. Moses and Elijah, I can prove that. It's Moses and Elijah sitting, laying on the streets, dead as a doornail for all the world to see. They didn't bury him. They left him there for three and a half days. Passover, three and a half days later, guess what? It's Feast of First Fruits. The same day Jesus rose from the grave. Up from the, up from the street, they arose and they ascended into the heavens in the sight of the 144,000 Jewish men and their mouths drop open and they're looking in the sky. They, they can't believe it. And, and all of a sudden, conviction comes and the light comes on and they realize it is true. Jesus is the Messiah. I understand now. I'm, I'm, I'm a believer now. And there's an uproar and a cry and a scream of rejoicing. And inside the temple, Mr. Obama, I mean the Antichrist, inside the temple, hears the roar out there and he asks, what's all that noise out there? And they come in and they say, you won't believe this, Your 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 honor, you won't believe this. Those two guys that you killed, they got up and they ascended up into the sky in a miracle. And those Jews are all praising Jesus. And he quenches his fist. He says, I'll kill every one of them. Now there's Matthew. Somebody tell Steve Anderson to call me. That's Matthew 24 right there. Right there. Woe unto her who is with child. We got a lady right here that's with child. What's easy? It's hard to run. Hard to run. Either with a toddler or you're pregnant. It's hard to run. Woe unto her who is with child. The Antichrist is going to seek to kill you. If you're on the rooftop, don't go down the house to get your cell phone. Run for your life. If you're in the field, don't go back. Run field. You got moments to get out of Jerusalem. He's not talking about New York City. He's not talking about Boston. It's not Winchester, Kentucky. He's talking about Israel. Because at the middle of the tribulation, the Antichrist will break his, his, his love of Israel, his, his protection of Israel, and he'll vow to just kill every one of them. And they run for their lives. What's the, what's the story here? Keep your eyes on Israel. Israel is the barley. When the barley is a beeb, when it's ripe, when the 12 baskets are ready, by the way, it could be any day now. It may have already happened. <laughs> it may be that it's happened and a few months later, we're out of here. So when, when Israel is ready, when they're a beeb, God will take us out of here. And he'll deal once again with the nation of Israel, as well as redeeming planet Earth, like we talked about this morning, from the curse upon the earth. 
And all that, in Daniel chapter 9, there's six things mentioned in Daniel 9. One of them is to anoint the most holy. That's going to happen at the end of the tribulation. That's got to happen. Christ is going to be anointed king of kings, lord of lords. And, uh, but a whole bunch of things got to happen for seven years before he gets there. Boy, isn't this something? All right, let's, let's stand on our feet. I'll ask Brother Munchie to come and... Uh,